0: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. we love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Thin. Hello, and you're very welcome along to this week's Wheel of Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Coming up, Andy McCarroll and Chris Wasser will be joining me. We'll be previewing the Golden Globes. We'll also be taking a look at this year's Dublin International Film Festival, What's on Offer? Another great lineup of movies, the film that's kicking things off is Supernova starring Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. We'll be getting into more of the films that'll be on offer a little later. Plus, we'll have a round of all the big movie stories from the week and what's worth streaming. That's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. We
1: love movies with Gordon Hayden on spin.
0: Now we're going to take a look at some of the big movie stories from the week. I'm joined, as always, by Andy McCarroll and Chris Wasser. Andy, going to start with your good self, uh, Jared Leto, a man that I know he, he brings great pain to the three of us. And if anyone has seen his Actors on Actors chat with John David Washington, if you were on the fence about Jared Leto being a bit of a pretentious prat, just look at that interview and... I think it's it's a done deal. I, I, I He is, oh, it just drives me demented. But anyway, Andy, uh, he is starring as the Joker. Well, I don't know how big a role he's going to have in Zack Snyder's new cut of Justice League. But the interesting thing is, Andy, the, the film has been finally given a rating and it's not a, it's not exactly stateside a PG.
2: Yeah, it's going to be rated R-18s over here. I think it's rated R-4. I'm really sick of hearing about this film. Jared Leto, who was in Suicide Squad, you know the most underwhelming Joker. He said he was kind of done a, a shaft in the edit, but even everything from the look of the character, the way he acted, and that, it just it wasn't a good take on it, and the fact that. You know, it wasn't a good take, and it's shown by the fact that the the picture that Zack Snyder released of Jared Leto being in Justice League now he's going to be shoehorned into this because you know the Snyder cut, which supposedly filmed and done, and they wouldn't release him, let him release his masterpiece. All of a sudden, needs you know seventy million budget and reshoots with people who weren't in it in the first place. So uh, figure that one out. And yeah, the the character looks completely different. It kind of looks a bit like um like the Crow, like Brandon Lee's version of that. I, I'm just the more I just want this film out and done with, so I can stop talking about it because it's just if you go on twitter and see anything like release the snyder it's just brought out the worst in film fans it's just this kind of like cult of personality around Zack snyder and all i keep thinking is have you not watched any of his other films this does not warrant this slavish following to this because it's just meh like all this buzz all this hype for what's let's be honest it's going to be at most a three-star film and we will have forgotten about it hopefully by this time next year
0: and andy do you know if it's still the four hour cut that's going to get released
2: yeah they're saying it's going to be released in one batch it's a four hour film now as opposed to initially it was supposed to be um spread out over a couple of weeks with one hour increments this is what the, they were saying the shoot was supposed to be because they were going to bookend each episode but Zack snyder himself has said on uh, vo or Vio, whatever the weird platform that he uses that just ends up getting sent to twitter and instagram anyway uh is that it's going to be a one four hour cut of this so bad enough having to sit through Justice League the first time, but having to sit through a four-hour cut of it in one go is just filling me with dread, I'll be honest. Oh, genius. Well, this will save you having to chat about
0: it anymore, Andy. But the fourth film in a series that no one's been asking for either is The Matrix, and it's finally been given a title.
2: Yeah, it's going to be called Matrix Resurrections, which is an upgrade from Matrix 4 or Matrix, which was the rumoured title beforehand. Yeah, to be honest, it kind of fits in with the tone of, uh, you know, or, or named Matrix movies, I'm a bit more optimistic about this than you are. Even though you know the fact that the the Wachowskis. It seems like that force matrix film was just a complete fluke. Like everything they've done afterwards, you know, Cloud Atlas, Speed Racer, which wasn't the worst, and then the two Matrix sequels. It just feels like they caught lightning in a bottle once, and this is their way to try and go back to the well with that. The fact that Lawrence Fishburne or Hugo Weaving isn't in it either, but Jada Pinkin Smith and Neil Patrick Harris are confuses me, I'll be honest. But Keanu Reeves is having this big career resurgence at the moment. So I'm excited to see him back in it and carrie Ann Moss as well. But I'm a bit more optimistic than you are, but still kind of erring on the side of caution, as it were.
0: Yeah, I hope this doesn't derail things. Mind you, though, he is shooting two John Wick movies back to back, all going well later this year. So if unfortunately, if the Matrix resurrection stumbles, he has El Wick to fall back on. Now, gentlemen, we are going to talk all things Golden Globes and there's very slim pickings, as you can imagine, of uh, the films that are in contention. But Netflix, it leads the charge, Andy. How many nominations in total?
2: 42 nominations across all the the various categories. You kind of think back a couple of years ago when Roma was nominated for the Oscar and there was this kind of, you know, hullabaloo. Oh, my God, how is a streaming service been nominated for such a prestigious award? Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, the biggest player in town. Obviously, the pandemic shutting down cinemas for a year has helped them significantly. But even look at the, the best contenders, you know, two of the four of them are, sorry, two of the five are Netflix films, acting, TV, everything across the board just seems to be like they're, you know, the biggest player in town at the moment.
0: Looking at the films that are really, you know, in with the chance, Mank, the David Fincher film, which his late father wrote, and Hollywood, I, you know, it, you really feel that Fincher has come so close to winning an Oscar over the years and that some of the big awards and maybe this could be the year where all roles are leading to that and Golden Globes being the first big award ceremony out of the traps and the fact that he could be up on stage and give a speech referencing his late father. Hollywood loves that side of things too. So I wouldn't be at all shocked if David Fincher picks up awards. But anyway, Mank is definitely leading the charge. So is the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Promising young ladies in there too. The Father, which I can't wait to see, starring <coughs> excuse me, Sir Anthony Hopkins, and Nomad Land, which um oh Francis McDormand is in that as well. So all of them you think are in with a big shout. Out of all of that, as a matter of interest, Chris, who what film is jumping out there for you as the the one to really kind of pull away from the pack?
1: Promising a woman, I would love to see Emerald Fennell's film um, uh, pick up a few awards uh, in what should be a very strange, very different award season. Um, I think it's been a long time coming because that film has been pushed around so much. Obviously, as a result of, of the pandemic, the release schedules just changing left, right, and centre. But it is a fabulous film, and it's unlike anything else in that pack. I mean, Nomadland is probably the same because it's this, you know, strange independent uh, picture with Frances McDormand kind of travelling the country trying to figure herself out. Later on in life, and Chloe Zhao has never had this sort of attention before, and it's you know it's 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 rare also for the Golden Globes nomination. Not just one female director, but but two female directors. Uh, but promising young woman, I think it's just it's such a conversation starter. I mean, it's it's generated an awful lot of conversations in recent weeks uh, for for a variety of reasons but it's just it it, it feels like something different you know mm-hmm. it's not the big oscar bait film it's not you know that you know we'll leave that to the trial of the chicago seven it's not the film about films we'll leave that to mike although you know go they they have a history of awarding uh Pictures about Hollywood, so hopefully, I, I, you know, look, David Fincher, you know, he deserves he deserves all of that, but I'm not sure if *Mank* is his best film. *Promising a Woman* is this one that I just think it should it should you know go the full distance. I would love for people to actually go and see this film when it finally is released in Ireland. Uh, hopefully next month.
0: Just quickly, Chris, in terms of the plot for *Promising a Young Woman*, uh, what's it about? It's about Carrie Mulligan
1: plays a, a woman in her late twenties who. Well, you know, works an ordinary job during the day. Uh, She works in an ice cream shop, but at night she dresses herself up and she goes out to uh, pubs and clubs and pretends to be completely out of her mind drunk. And usually what happens is a guy takes her home and uh, is about to, um, you know, mistreat her and basically assault her when she reveals to them that she is stone cold sober. And, you know, you're kind of left wondering, what does she do to these guys? What does she say? But she keeps a list, and she's basically keeping the men in her area and in her city in check and it's and it's all because you know it reveals itself and it explains itself very well as, as it goes along but something happened to her she was once studying medicine she once had a friend too and so uh, she once had a best friend where something happened to this friend now you don't have to be a genius to figure it out there was obviously some sort of assault or place and obviously people did not believe the women in this case and she's never been able to get over it as you know as so many people wouldn't be able to so it's all about this uh you know kind of uh uh, it, it's sort of a, a really messed up revenge story, but then mm-hmm. also a love story because a character or a guy comes into her life that she knew back in high school and she kind of thinks, I might be actually be able to have a future with this guy. So it's it's very funny in places. Bo Burnham is in there as well. who directed Eight Grade last oh, year, yeah. uh, a wonderful director and a great comic actor. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is just the best she has ever been. Um, it's quite funny, uh, quite messed up quite scary at times i mean there's there you know there were scenes in it where i was thinking i'm i'm not able for this i think i might actually have to walk out but it's right. unlike anything i've ever seen i think it takes every box it feels like like probably you know the word daring has been thrown around it is you know and it's certainly a film for now so look it, i I've, I've left out half of the plot there gordon because i don't want to ruin any surprises oh. but it is so entertaining
0: You've definitely whetted my appetite for that one, Chris. I knew no more than Kerry Mulligan was the star and she was getting a lot of acclaim and that there was a real high hope that she could walk away with an award at the Golden Globes. But the premise that I was expecting something completely different. Andy, just to bring you in there, I had mentioned there a a few of the films on offer. And as you said, from the get-go, Netflix is leading the charge with 42 nominations. Two of their big films, uh, for contention, are Mank from David Fincher and the trial of the, of the Chicago Seven from Aaron Sorkin. Do you think they'll feature heavily, or would you be putting your money if you were betting on the likes of No Man Land, Nomad Land, or a Promising Young Woman?
2: I think Mank will be the one to get it because, like I said, it's a black and white film about Hollywood, which they absolutely love as well. I think that the kind of the, this year is going to be the Sasha Baron Cohen year. I think he is going to win at least two awards i think he's going to get something for bora because when you look in the category he's up against you know james corden just to show how thin on the ground we are for nominees here james corden nominated for the prom which he was absolutely terrible in it was like that kind of throwback mrs browns boys you know kind of you know old itv comedy portrayal of a gay person and he's nominated for best actor so to, just goes to show how little there is in the nomination i think so many films have missed their opportunity i think films like promising woman i think films like uh, the father missed an opportunity that with the absence of cinemas and the absence of all these blockbusters they really could have tried to push this on a streaming service but i think because you know the likes of uh, of mank and the likes of uh, Bora have been you know Plastered across your Amazon Prime, your Netflix for the past few weeks, they're going to be the ones that are fresh in the mind. They're the ones that people will have actual access to have seen. I know a lot of the people get screeners, but a lot of them wouldn't have that kind of you know the big publicity buzz around them, like like Borat did with the, the Giuliani thing, which was playing on the news during the election for weeks.
0: Yeah, he stands a very good chance of winning as uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Just looking at Irish interest, um, Wolf Walkers, which is such a superb film. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, you in a, and if you're an Apple TV customer. Do check it out. It's well worth a watch because they've they've partnered up with Apple, hence why I mentioned them. But Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, they're the directors of this film and they've had huge success over the years with the likes of The Secret of Kells being the first film that really kind of struck a chord with Hollywood and they followed it up very successfully since. But *Wolf Walkers* for me is their best film to date. Delighted to see that it's been nominated for Golden Globe and you'd be thinking now it's in with a good chance come the Oscars, but it'll have stiff competition, no doubt, from the likes of Pixar with Soul and Onward. Chris, my heart says Wolfwalkers deserves this, but my head, you can't rule out Pixar. But do you think there could be a big upset here?
1: Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's about time. As you said, there's been three nominations um, for the guys, for Tom Moore and the crew at Cartoon Saloon. and And I think it's... You know, it's, it's not just the case of, look, we'll finally give one to them after being nominated so many times uh, in terms of Golden Globe nominations and Oscar nominations. It, it, but it's, it's sort of the norm, isn't it, to award Pixar? And look, any other year, I would say, oh, look, don't give it to Pixar. Look, they've just released another kind of version of the same sort of film that they do, you know, wonderfully animated, beautifully scored, you know, a premise that will, you know, kind of you, you'll be mulling over in your head when you put your head in the pillow at night. But Soul was magnificent. You know, and I, as much as my heart, the same Wolf Walker, same as you, Gordon, but Soul is something special. It's probably the best thing Pixar has done since Inside Out. Mm. Probably one of the greatest things Pixar has ever done. So... Look, I I would hope that you know. Look, the voters will say, look, let's just you know, let's let's look at what, what's what's what do these two films have to give us? Uh, you know, I don't think the Crude's New Age is going to no. win this award, so it is between Soul and Wolfwalkers. Um, I don't know what to tell you, Gordon. I'm so kind of torn. I mean, did you feel the same way about Soul?
0: I thought Soul was 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 fantastic. I yeah. just feel. It's, so an, it's such a nearly an obvious choice to go with them. And yeah. I just, what I love with Cartoon Saloon is that there is obviously such a throwback to an old style of animation and the way in which the wolves are animated. that You can even see that, that Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, they've made sure they're animators. They kind of add in the, almost the rough edges. So that almost has that pencil drawn feel. And I'm hoping that because it has a callback to old animation of the past, even like some of the old Ralph Batsky movies that hopefully it just, it's a change of pace and it's a kind of a David versus Goliath thing here. Yeah. Suddenly they're they're finally being recognized with an award stated I'm hoping anyway mm. andy just I think one you. of the
1: I think one of the sorry to cut across I think one of the the, the trickier things as well is that Wolfhawk is as you said it's probably the most accomplished thing that these that this team has ever done you know they picked up the action the story is tighter they' have taken risks in the story in the in the individual department the animation is is richer and it's more exciting than it used to be and also the voice cast but at the same time you look at soul and and you know, as a lot of people have been talking about this, some of the animation in that is unlike oh. anything I've ever seen before. Even for Pixar, some of the themes involved, are. it's almost like the guys at Pixar, it's like they sat around a table and said, let's go deeper here. I think, you know, we're making something that will appeal to both younger and older audiences, but let's treat it with a bit of respect and let's just like put something a little bit heavier out there and it's paid off. And also that voice cast, that score, that jazz, that rich jazz score, both feature, set um, of very different, you know, the David and Goliath animation teams at the very top of their game. So it's going to be a very close call for those two films, I think.
0: Andy, just want to stay with the whole Irish interest, moving to the smaller screen now, because Brendan Gleeson's been nominated, and I think everyone's also delighted to see normal people being recognised as well. I have to honest with you, I haven't seen Brendan Gleeson in the limited series, The Comedy Rule. Have you had a chance to check it out? Because I believe he was excellent as Donald Trump.
2: I have, and it's it, not that it humanised Trump, but it kind of made me see how he can get into this position because you're watching him on the news and you're just thinking, how is this gormless idiot doing all this behind the scenes? Well, Brendan Gleeson plays him, essentially like a, a horror movie villain. He just has this, you know, bullying presence to him where you can kind of see, and he's like basically James Comey is the head of the FBI and he's, you know, pretty much said, don't investigate me, I don't want any of this. But he says it in such an intimidating way that it kind of really made you think, oh my God, there is actually you know, a presence and, uh, you know, an, an intelligence behind Donald Trump here. And I think the one thing that will work against them on this is I think, you know, we Trump's finally out of office. He's off Twitter. He's off social media. People voting for this, like, I don't want to hear this name ever again and could end up voting for for Donald Sutherland for the undoing and his magnificent eyebrows.
0: And normal people as well. I think there'll be some fans that would be disappointed that Paul Meskel hasn't been nominated, but Daisy Edgar-Jones has been I really hope they do well normal people because I loved that series and I wonder will Sally Rooney be tempted to write a sequel because I'm sure the checkbook has been cracked out to try and get her to write a follow up but um Andy how do you see this one going do you think it might pick up anything
2: I think it well I think it might it's looking good for 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 the actress category I think it's up against for the the series one as well I don't think it was as widely seen in the states as it was here but like you said, I think Paul Mescal missing out was was a big one as well because he was kind of the, the viral star as well. You know the shorts and the chain. Every time I went on Twitter or Instagram, I was getting them in my face and <laughs> making me want to you know get a lot fitter than I am. But I think it has a great chance for uh, the acting nomination. I don't think it's going to take home the the series. But like you said, if this opens the door for a sequel or, or another series of this, definitely a good thing. Absolutely. Well, that's our look at uh, the upcoming Golden Globes.
0: And our weekly roundup of the main movie stories. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now we're going to take a look at what's worth streaming this week. And Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll are still with me. Chris, I don't know if you've done this to annoy me, but you've stuck in Greenland with Gerard Butler. I'm still very confused about his career. I don't know if someone needs to sit him down. Because, I don't know, is he basically taking anything that's coming his way? Because... I thought ever since 300 here, there's going to be a lot of promise, but it's almost as if he wanted to really fall into the studio system. And he did a rake of those horrendous rom-coms. Yep. Do you remember that one with um, Jennifer Aniston? It was awful. Oh, I can't even the, the, remember. The Bounty Hunter. Oh, awful. And then it was The Ugly Truth with Catherine Heigl. He did a load of those. And now he's kind of doing all this action fare that maybe... Nicolas Cage might have done before he hit the old DVD market. But he's also, he's got this other sideline going on, Jared Butler, outside of making those Olympus's has fallen films, doing disaster movies. Because before Greenland, remember we had this other one, Dean Devlin, who used to be Roland Emmerich's old producing partner. Oh, he, I can't even remember the name of the, the, the disaster movie that he uh, helmed that was taken away from him um, in the edit. It was meant to be horrendous. The mad thing I'm hearing about Greenland is that it is watchable and it actually might be, even be a bit of a guilty pleasure. There's
1: an awful lot to back in there, Gordon, because you mentioned Nicolas Cage, and I thought, well, hold on, the difference between Nicolas Cage and Jared Butler is that Nicolas Cage can act. I mean, he's got his own thing going on, but you know, there is some acting skill there. I think the I've said, I've always said this about Jared Butler, I think that the, the greatest trick Jared Butler ever, ever, ever pulled on. Audiences and agents and studios was, you know, convincing them that, you know, he can act. He, he really can't. But yes, Geostorm was the one where Jared Butler went up against the weather. Jared Butler versus the weather. It wasn't nearly as entertaining as it sounds. This is this guy has not made as many pictures as he used to. But he is certainly ever since, you know, showing that promise in 300 and ever since even showing just a glimmer of promise in the in, you know, the Phantom of the Opera film, which was just a mess. But there was something there that kind of, you know, suggested or hinted at, you know, a a career in front of in front of the camera. Um, He has gone on to, you know, I think he has said, I look, I want to be a movie star, you know, not Mm. a serious actor, a movie star. But he's making fewer pictures these days. And maybe that's because, you know, at one stage, you know, there was, oh, God, there's another Jared Butler romantic comedy in this corner. And then there's a disaster movie over here. And then there's an action movie where he's like going around the White House shooting bags and terrorists. We did. We, nowadays, we're kind of seeing them just do one maybe event film, and it's unfortunate that the pandemic got in the way of this one. The reason I say that is because, according to several critics and several people I admire and respect and would trust them greenland is not his worst film um this time he's going up against a comet of course he is and uh he plays a uh you know a family man whose, whose marriage is in trouble that's ingredient in the mix um they have a young uh, son who uh, has diabetes so obviously the you, you know not it's look i i I'm, I'm not saying anything bad there it's just when you read about you know, a family in a disaster movie. And if the marriage is in trouble and if one of the children is sick, you know that the children being sick is going to be a part of the plot later on. And you know that the marriage is going to be saved by the end of it. But he plays a guy as uh, you know, gets a call one day from some sort of, um, you know, top secret government service to say that he's been chosen for some sort of, you know, Stay in a, in a, you know, on a, on board an ark or a cave or something. And the reason he's getting these calls is because there's a comet on its way to Earth. And look, everybody already knew that they were gonna, you know, the that the, the there was gonna be an asteroid passing by the Earth. But what people don't know is that it's gonna hit. So basically, you know, look, the Earth's in trouble. Uh, an asteroid's gonna hit. We're talking about an extinction level event. Jared Butler and thousands of other families have been notified that they will be, you know, both. Uh, bu- Bunkered up, and they'll be, you know, among the the humans who will be saved. And it's basically about Jared Butler and his family's attempts to get to these bunkers. So that's basically Jared Butler <laughs> trying to survive the end of the world.
2: <laughs> what I loved about this film is the fact that. He's playing a structural engineer and, you know, he's called in because he's the best of the best with honours. And clearly they gave him a lot of technical dialogue about, you know, working as a structural engineer and he couldn't deliver. So literally they call this, you know, the best structural engineer of all time in. And what happens is they bring him into, you know, the room where they you know, break down the mission and another guy gives the whole spiel of what we're about to do. And Jared Butler just goes, yes, that's what we need to do. <laughs> oh, <Christ. laughs>
1: Like well, so- the, the, the thing that a lot of people are picking up or uh, that what I'm picking up from a lot of people's reviews is that, you know, this is probably one of the best that he's made in a long time. And that, you know, that it's it's nice for, we've seen the Armageddon's and the deep impacts and the geostorms and everything rolling there. I think we need to go back to if we're, doing, if we're going to have you know another San Andreas, for example, which apparently is in the pipeline. Focus on the people on the ground. We don't need to see cities being destroyed again. We don't need to see you know, mass panic. There's too, much, there's too much mass hysteria on the news. Show us the ordinary people in an extraordinary situation. And that's what Greenland is attempting to do. With Jared Butler, Gordon, I know, I realise that. But I think that's why people are responding to it so well.
0: Well, that's what Roland Emmerich, when he was making stuff that was deemed a bit watchable... That's what he had. You know, there was, granted, there was a a lot of his stuff now is horrendous, but you could focus in on the characters. Chris, for a long time I've I've thought Jared Butler was becoming a real life Troy McClure. I don't know if I'd be tempted to watch it, but it is out there, Greenland, and it is available to stream. And here's a little bit from it, should it whet your appetite. (laughs) Dad, come and sit with me. Yeah,
1: I just got to go talk to your mom for a second. (laughs) Hey. Where's the bear wine? It's in the car. Listen, I just got one of those presidential alerts. Did you get one? No, it's probably just a test. Can you go to the car and get the stuff? No, I don't think it's a test. They said our family's been selected for shelter. I think something weird is going on with this comet. But the news said the fragment thing is falling somewhere near Bermuda. That's nowhere why near is us. Then
0: half of our military on the move? With a ton of planes in the sky.
2: Hey John, here it comes.
0: You guys get in here. So there is a little bit from Greenland You uh, heard Chris's review there. I don't know if you're interested in watching it. Maybe you've already checked it out. Do let us know on Twitter. Be uh, interested to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Just include the hashtag, WeLoveMovies. Now we're going to take a look at the Dublin International Film Festival, which begins on March 3rd. Another great selection of films. This time out, though, due to the global pandemic, all the films on offer, you'll be able to watch them online. Head along to diff.ie for more details on how you can register to watch those movies. But joining me once again is Andy McCarroll and Chris Wasser, as we're now going to take a look at some of the must-see films that are on offer, along with some of the stars that will be in virtual attendance, uh, talking about their films. Andy, you're going to start with yourself. Um, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, they're going to be in attendance and... Colin Firth is going to pick up a Volta award from his good pal Stanley Tucci who is a former Volta winner and two of them star in Supernova. We've got a lot of there's some big names Andy that are going to be in attendance digitally.
2: Yeah we've got Stanley Tucci. I'm absolutely raging that it's virtual this year. I would have loved to have met and spoke at the Stanley Tucci but unfortunately that's can only happen virtually again or in my dreams. Colin Firth as well. Really really good actor. Really very interesting person we've seen him being interviewed before he really you know it's very tempting to say he's the love actually he's the sweater Bridget Jones guy but he's just someone who you just look he hasn't had that film yet where like we got to see the real Colin Firth we've Steve McQueen director of uh, 12 Years a Slave and also done Shame with Michael Fassbender he's going to be in conversation with Marco Halloran of Adam and Paul so I'm kind of interested the the contrast of those two personalities you know Oscar winning introverted Steve McQueen with Marco Halloran who you know Won't be shy about dragging a word or two out of him, I say. So I'm very interested to see how that one goes as well.
0: Yeah, some great names on offer. Uh, Supernova's kicking things off, Chris. I've had the pleasure of seeing it. I know you have too. I thought it was a heartbreaking film. I don't want to get into any spoilers um, until the film is uh, properly released and we can um, have a good old chat about it. Still keeping a lot um, withheld so that we won't spoil it for people. But it's a real strong two-hander between Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. They're great friends. Off camera, they met in 2001 in a movie called Conspiracy and they've always remained very, very close friends. I thought Supernova was a fantastic piece of work from the director, Harry McQueen. Just your own thoughts, Chris, on it? Yeah, I mean, look, we'll get to
1: talk about it in in more detail in about a month, I think, because the film is actually going to be released around the time that it actually uh, premieres at the festival. Um, But yes, there's a great friendship there. I mean, if anyone was in doubt that these two guys are are good friends and that they actually see one, one another... Uh, a lot. Uh, see, Colin Firth was talking uh, there recently about how he's tried Stanley's cocktails and if you're a good, fo- if you're a, a follower of Stanley's online, you'll know that you know he's been having a lot of fun in his apartment with his family and his famous family, I think Emily Blunt is his uh, sister-in-law, you know, making cocktails and let's just say Stanley Cucci, uh Stanley Tucci is the coolest looking and the coolest cocktail maker you've ever seen. This is something special, getting back to the film, because Harry McQueen, I, I don't think I had, I had heard of this guy before, and he is best known as, as an actor, but he's only made one, he only has one other filmmaking credit to his name, a film called Hinterland from back around 2002, 2003, I think. But for, for to come out with this then, you know, some 17 years later, uh, and to have a cast like Tucci and like Fert heading up this uh, uh, devastating love story, which simply put is about uh, uh, two, uh, a couple of, on the road on this you know uh, uh, late in the day vacation later on in the year around the uk because they don't think they will get another chance to because one of them is ill um it's a very you know to to, to be able to acquire such acting talent on, on on the second film the second film you've done seven years that's a, that's a, a, an outstanding achievement for it to actually work out is even bigger so what we're getting here is two performers you know bringing their a-game to a very simple but touching story I I had an awful lot of time for this and I'm looking forward to getting into more detail about it later in the month. Um, and I would actually say, look, I don't think there was any love for this film uh, uh, with, the, with the Golden Globes uh, nominations, but no. I would love for it to, to be appreciated by the Academy because it deserves it.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. I think Harry McQueen, the writer director, is a serious talent, and I'll be watching his career with great promise. Andy, just looking at some of the documentaries on offer, I know we'll jump back to some of the movies in just a moment, but some that really stand out for you are Kubrick by Kubrick by Kubrick, <laughs> and there's another documentary about Terry Gilliam's attempt to make a film about Don Quixote. We we saw a fantastic one, Lost in La Mancha, from a few years ago, and. If anyone is intrigued by great behind-the-scenes documentary, I would urge you to check that one out because this, everything that could go wrong on a film set went wrong when uh, Terry Gilliam first tried to make his film about uh, Don Quixote. But we'll start with first anyway, Kubrick by Kubrick. What Obviously, this is delving into the great Stanley Kubrick here, but but in what context is a matter of interest?
2: It's a lot of lost footage surrounding uh, Kubrick that we hadn't been seeing. Of this. It delves apparently quite deeply into the Napoleon uh, movie they were supposed to make with Jack Nicholson years ago. So I'm very interested to see how much of that we have. It's also got people like Malcolm McDowell in it. Jack Nicholson was interviewed for it as well. Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, separately, I imagine, uh, talking about their experiences working on Eyes Wide Shut. And it's someone who, despite the multitude of books in that terrible documentary room, 237, a couple of years ago, there isn't a hell of a lot known about him. There's all these kind of, you know, rumors and half-truths. So I'm very interested in how deep they go into this and how much of, you know, the, the reality there is of this. Because there's all these, you know, little half-stories about, like, the, the time he wrote to the... You know, the Savoy Cinema basically tell them how to show a clockwork orange and little things like that. You're just like, I'd love to get the the glimpse behind Kubrick because a lot of his films, you know, 2001 The Shine, a lot of their classics, they can seem very cold and impersonal. So I'm very curious to see how deep this goes with this or we'll be coming out with more questions about the man than I had going in.
0: And Andy, then looking at the uh, Terry Gilliam documentary, it's it's all there in Lost in La Mancha so is this sort of picking up the pieces from that film and then the recent Don Quixote movie he made with uh, Adam Driver is that the premise or or are we are we do we have much detail on what the documentary is essentially the line it's going
2: to follow yeah this follows up from Lost in La Mancha this is essentially trying to make the the second one the one that did actually get released uh, the man who killed Don Quixote in 2018 i think it was I feel like this is going to be far more memorable. Like when you watch Lost in La Mancha, all you can think of is, I want them to see this film getting made. I want to see you know this magical stuff. And then the film came out and you're like, that, that's it. That's that's what all this fuss was about now. So I'm curious to see how much behind the scenes footage impacted the film that actually came out as well. And if it was anything on the scale of Lost in La Mancha as well. So hopefully it's every bit as disastrous as the other one, because the film that came out off the back of it wasn't particularly memorable.
0: No, it wasn't really. It just sort of came and went. Chris, I just want to ask you now about some of the Irish interest at this year's diff. One film which really jumps out is the closing gala movie, Deadly Cuts. Angeline Ball leads the cast. It's about a group of hairdressers in uh, inner city Dublin who end up becoming vigilantes. Now, this sounds like it's got a real quirky premise to it. And fingers crossed it it lives up to uh, that quirkiness because... It must be fairly decent because it's also getting a UK release too. in terms of Irish comedies over the years, Chris, what's your feeling on it?
1: Well, I think it's great to see an Irish comedy, a new Irish comedy uh, closing out the festival, because I don't know if many people will disagree with me. But, you know, drama is something that we are so good at horror in recent years. Uh, you know, Irish our, our filmmakers have uh, that that have given horror uh, a stab. Um, they, they they have you know they've produced some very very fine pictures. Everyone from you know uh, Lee Cronin, for example, with uh, was it Lee Cronin who did the uh, the one with uh, Shauna Kerslake the, That's hole, right, yeah, in the uh, hole in the yeah. ground, wasn't it? yeah, really ambitious ideas and plots and great follow through. With something with like comedy, I mean, we've seen extraordinary, we've seen a couple of you know decent homegrown comedies, but you know, it's there's something there that just I don't know, it's just niggling at me saying that we should be better at, you know, comedies on the big screen. Um, so maybe, you know, Rachel Carey's uh, Deadly Cuts will be the one to prove me wrong to say that, look, Irish comedy on the big screen does work. And the, the, the set of the synopsis is brilliant. You've got four hairdressers who are kind of seeing that their area is changing, that, you know, it's been gentrified and, you know, that gang uh, uh, members are coming in and kind of, you know, they've got the place all sewn up and, and these uh, hairstylists, you know, they're thinking, look, our, our, our town is just, you know, look, what's, what's happening to it? And they decide to, you know, become crime fighters and, and late night vigilantes. And I'm thinking, well, that's That just has a bonkers but ambitious and I'll take ambition over ordinary any day premise. And also a great cast with Angeline Ball and Lauren Larkin is in there too. I think Ian Lloyd Anderson pops up and you've also got Shauna Higgins and Victoria Smurfish. A great promising on the rise filmmaker and Rachel Carey and also a great slot for this film. There is a reason, as you said, that this film is getting UK release and there must be a reason why. And I trust, you know, Grona Humphreys and everyone at DIFF that they will put this as the closing film. There has to be something to it. I really hope there is something to it because I would love to see what the next big comedy film is for Irish uh, cinema.
0: Well, Gronya Humphreys did say to me that uh, she found it laugh out loud funny. So fingers crossed there. But Andy, when it comes to comedy, like Irish comedies, they travel. We only have to look back and you know, the commitments was such a huge hit. And then over the years for the BBC, the TV movie, The Snapper, of course, but then got a cinema release over here. And then Sing Street, was a, a massive hit as well. And I think um Extraordinary was one of the um was one of the top films for the um Dublin film Critics circle when it was released. Was that about two years ago now, maybe a year or two ago? But um so we can do it really well. What's your own take on Irish comedies, Andy?
2: Yeah, I think they they really do. I think it's something we've done really well for a long time. I'd add like things like I Went Down or Wake and Ned into the mix there. But I think recently it's become kind of People are taking the best of the, the Irish comedy scene for like films like, you know, in Bruges or The Guard, but we're not making them ourselves. It almost seems like, you know, we we fall into different categories every couple of years. We had our comedy phase, now we're going through our kind of horror and drama. I think there's so much potential there that's not being tapped. And like you said, it just needs someone to here's a few quid, make a few comedies, you know, just try and get that out there. I think that the horror movies have been easy sells the last few years, but I think get back to what we're doing best, which is writing some really, really great comedies.
0: Chris, just on uh, going back to some of the Irish films that are playing at this year's Dublin international film festival. There is a documentary which really stood out to me, which um, is it father of the cyborg? Is that the name yes. of it? Uh, yep. What in on earth is going on there? It's the father
1: of the cyborgs. Uh, it's a fascinating story. It's about a, a neurologist named Phil Kennedy, who back in the nineties, um, he, uh, he basically implanted wire electrodes in the brain of a locked in patient. Um, And through these electrodes, the patient was able to control a computer cursor with their mind. And the Washington Post did this profile of Phil Kennedy and they compared him to Alexander Graham Bell and they uh, uh, christened him the father of the cyborgs. As usual, all of these sort of, Nicknames or pseudonyms or you know just these these wild names which gave their 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 title to the documentary. They usually do start in you know newspaper profiles. Um, And he actually went to South America uh, some six or seven years ago, and you know there were bigger profiles after this, he had the electrodes implanted inside his own brain so that he can continue his research. And he became his own guinea pig, uh, which is not something you hear of every day. So here we have David Burke, Shauna Cullen producing and directing uh, what is a fascinating portrait Of this man who decided to experiment on himself um, who you know kind of uh, uh, came up with this you know just life-changing technology for the patients who he was working with and just the profile of a man who just kind of wanted to go a bit a step further in terms of his medical um, and scientific research Uh, it really is a fascinating uh, portrait of a man who and I'm looking forward to, just for this last point, I'm looking forward to you both seeing this because I'm looking forward to seeing what you both think of Phil Kennedy as a man in this film because it also lets okay. us let in on his life as well. So looking this forward to discussing like this. This
2: sounds like a terrible idea. Like, this just sounds like the start of every science fiction film you've ever seen. And yeah, I I experimenting on himself and just... If I've got killer robots in my head, by the <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to be a bit disappointed.
0: Gentlemen, I know time is catching up with us, so um, just before we go... Um, Andy, just quickly for you, is there anything else jumping out from the films on offer at this year's Dublin International Film Festival that have grabbed your attention and you're intrigued to see?
2: Yeah, there's one called um, My New York Year, which has Sigoni Weaver and Sianna Kerslake who was in the, the Hole in the Ground. We were talking about it there earlier. It's an adaptation of a book called My Salinger Year, where it's this author basically tracking down the, the author of Catch on the Rye, J.D. Salinger, to get advice on publishing her own book. It's The book was really, really good, and with Sigoni Weaver and with Sianna Kerslake in it as well, that's something that I'm really interested in. And There's another one as well, and it, it's going to sound insane. It's a black and white film called Gunda which tells the life of a pig, and it's shot like using real farmyard animals. It looks like a real-life version of Babe, and the trailer I just have on repeat, because I'm just looking, going, they have to have been doctored, and so they just look really human, or really, like, personalities behind it. It's one I'm afraid to watch, because I know I'm going to be vegan for about two weeks after I watch this, before I, the, the cravings kick back in, I go back onto it, but it, it looks really, really interesting. Now, it could be the most boring, pretentious thing you've ever seen, but based on the trailer, I'm really, really intrigued by it.
0: Chris, just before we go again, uh, just quickly, uh, your thoughts on uh, Kate Winslet and Sir Ronan in Ammonite. I think their trist in the film might uh, get people interested um, uh, because I've, I'm hearing middling things about the movie. And there's another film just to get your thoughts on too. preparations to be together for an unknown period of time. What was going on there?
1: Yeah, preparations to be together for an unknown period of time, which we will now be uh, just referring to as preparations. Uh, I am so looking forward to this. Uh, this is um, uh, this could be nominated for best international feature film at the uh, Academy Awards uh, later in the year. It was certainly put forward by Hungary as their uh, 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 entry. Um, it's a Hungarian drama about a doctor who has been working and living in America for a long time and one day decides to return to Budapest uh, because she has uh, um, uh, fallen in love with someone there, another doctor, and when she gets there, he claims to have never met her before. So it's very trippy. Um, it's supposed to be a little bit confusing. It will totally mess with your head, um, but it might also warm your heart along the way. So that's one of the dramas. Uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for just like a really head-melting drama, which is why I'm also looking forward to Undine, a German film about a woman who breaks up uh, with uh, a historian played by Paula Beer, who was fantastic and Never Look Away, um, who uh, breaks up uh, with her boyfriend and has to potentially given her name as Undine, returned to the water. That's all I will say. It is a little bit, there's something fishy going on there, if you excuse a terrible pun. And the last film that uh, I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing is Ammonite, which is sort of, it's not a cradle to the grave story, but it is a biopic in in terms of, it's telling the story of British paleontologist, Mary Anning uh, from the beginning of the 20th century. And just what was going on in her personal life. We don't know an awful lot about Mary Anning. I don't think she ever married. And so uh, what we have is Francis Lee, the filmmaker who gave us only God's country, kind of just imagining this um, um, the uh, fictitious love story in which Mary Anning falls in love with a fellow scientist's wife. So like Kate Ansler plays Mary Anning, Saoirse Ronan plays the wife. It's a very, very, very slow film. Um, and I don't think we're going to quite see, uh, you know, Oscar nominations. I mean, I think it's destined for one of those this had Oscar buzz podcasts in the near future. But what I will say is and I have seen it and we'll talk about it again when it's actually released in cinemas there will probably be tabloid headlines about what goes on in this film because there are love scenes between Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan. And I think it kind of features Saoirse in a light that we haven't seen her before. And I'm in no way being prudish at all. I, you know, I'm just just saying that I think we can probably expect to see some salacious headlines in the tabloids about what our Saoirse gets up to in this film.
0: Ooh. There you go. That film is Ammonite. Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll, thank you so much for going through some of the must-see films playing at this year's Dublin International Film Festival. Well, that's it for this week on We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Thank you so much for your time. We'll be back next week from eight. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.